Welcome to Let's Hear It. Let's Hear It is a podcast for and about the field of foundation and nonprofit communications, produced by its two co-hosts, Eric Brown and Kirk Brown. No relation. Well said, Eric. And I'm Kirk. And I'm Eric. The podcast is sponsored by the Communications Network and the Lumina Foundation. We're talking to people about their work and what's happening in the field with the hopes of making this growing arena just a little bit more accessible to us all. You can find Let's Hear It on any podcast subscription platform. You can find us on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast, and you can email us at hello at Let's Hear com. Let us know if you have any thoughts about what you hear today, including people we should have on the show. And if you like the show, please, please, please rate us on Apple Podcasts so that more people can find us. So let's get on to the show. And welcome back for another edition of Let's Hear It. We're so glad you found us. We're so glad you're joining us. We hope we can be a little solitude, solace, uh, sanity, wait, sane. Um, uh, are, are you saying solace or soulless? Oh, yeah, maybe both. We, we hope we could be a little, you know, just, just a little place of quiet in your, in your journey through this, uh, unfortunately too uh, crazy life. Um, Mr. Brown, welcome in. We're here for another additional let's hear it. How are you doing? Hey Kirk, how are you? I'm good. I've got a fire burning 10 miles from my house, but other than that, everything's fine. It's just a perfect metaphor for everything 2020 has become, it seems. So uh, a shout out to everybody for staying uh, sane, healthy, safe, connected, all those things. And for listening. You're here. You're listening. And thank you. We are so grateful. And tell us what we're about to listen to, Eric, because this is a, oh my goodness, this is a, this is a mighty one on our river of fun. This is a mighty one. It is a mighty one. I had this really amazing conversation with Ruben Harris, who is the CEO of a company called Career Karma, which helps people learn how to code and helps them get a job in tech. And you would say, well, what does that have to do with anything that we do? And I mean, I said that too. What he's also doing is he started this campaign called Reskill America, which is designed to get laptops in the hands of people who who would otherwise be unable to get them. And he's working with nonprofits and foundations and companies to get them to donate laptops or to donate money so that he can buy them. But what I learned from Ruben is just this extraordinary, expansive creativeness mm. about how to see a problem, address it, a, a, attack it. And I loved, loved, loved having this conversation with him. This is truly a wonderful chat. We'll talk more about it when we come back. This is Ruben Harrison. Let's hear it. Let's take a listen. We'll come back. Welcome to Let's Hear It. My guest today is Ruben Harris, the co-founder of the Career Karma app, which helps people get jobs in tech. And today we're also going to be talking about a campaign that he has launched called Reskill America, which is providing laptops to underestimated communities most affected by COVID. And I really love the way you have talked about that, Ruben. Ruben is also the co-host of the Breaking Into Startups podcast, so I hope you're going to teach me something about podcasting. Ruben Harris, thank you so much for coming on to Let's Hear It. Thank you, man. I, I really love that intro. That was great, and that's perfect. You captured it well. I always say I don't know where to begin because I never know where to begin, but I guess I will begin by just talking about your really interesting journey to this place. Yeah. Do I have this right? You studied the cello in college. Yeah. So you have a yep. BS, which is great for tech, but except yep. that it's in cello. What? Yeah. Why'd you start playing the cello? So I've been playing the cello for almost 30 years. I did a double major business administration in music. I'm also a black cellist, so there's not a lot of black cellists that play on, on our level. 
I think my whole life I've been in this, this isn't the perfect analogy, but this understanding that there's a world of the haves and the have-nots or in the have a little want more, so that just to use the Saul Alinsky analogies. I didn't go to Juilliard. I didn't go to Ivy League schools, but I was able to play with the best at Carnegie Hall. I was able to work in investment banking. I was able to break into the most elite tech institution at Y Combinator through understanding how the system works. So I run a company called Career Karma that matches career transitioners to job training programs to get high paying jobs in tech in about a year. And what many people don't realize is, yes, the skill gap is important, but the hardest part about getting in the tech industry isn't learning how to code. It's getting the shot to prove that you have the skills, very similar to the music industry. The hardest part about getting in the music industry is not learning how to rap, sing, or play guitar. It's playing your record for the right person. Same thing with investment banking. I learned financial modeling skills, found the right person, got into the space. The reason why I got into the finance world is because the music industry is connected to the business world and the philanthropy world because the arts aren't funded without that. And I met a guy who funded a lot of arts initiatives, and he actually told me that the best way for me to learn business was to do investment banking. But since I went to a small school, had a low GPA, long story short, I figured out how to get in. And there's a lot more to the story, but I would say just use that music analogy about have, have not, have a little want more. That's kind of like what led me to this point. Well, in the short time I've known you, Ruben, I've already, I mean, it's so clear that you have this amazing, it's a drive, but it's also a locomotion. Is that something that you help people develop or is it something that you just have? Good question. I definitely believe that it's something that I naturally have. But to your point, when people come to career karma, it's deeper than a career transition and getting a job. We want to motivate them psychologically for them to come to a breakthrough, right? A lot of times people come to career karma for reinvention and a new life, not realizing that their perceived disadvantages are actually their advantage. From day one, I try to wake up that fire. And I saw, I saw on your LinkedIn that you said you're an ENTJ. Yeah. <laughs> ENTJ is the general. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, we had a famous ENTJ on the show, Kristen Grimm, who's the head of Spitfire Strategies, which is one of the largest communications firms that supports social action, nonprofits, and foundations. And she's an e a famous ENTJ. So based on that, I think I know a lot more about you. Yeah. I love that you brought up the Myers-Briggs because we actually tried to create our own version of that, kind of like the Myers-Briggs for, for middle America. <laughs> um, you can go to careercomma.com slash quiz. And we took different personality traits, like, are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Are you a lone wolf? Are you a team player? Are you busy? Do you have lots of free time? It's the 16 personalities. And we created different profiles to help people understand how to work well together. Because a career transition requires not just an individual, it requires a team effort, especially in a COVID-19 environment, right? Where loneliness and mental health is a very big issue. So we try to get people to work in groups from day one and to make sure that they understand each other's personalities so that they, they mesh well together because chemistry is more important than just putting a bunch of A players together. I did not think that we were going to have a career counseling <laughs> show, but what you're doing is so interesting. And it just reminds me that right now in our field, in the nonprofit world, so foundations and nonprofits, there's, I don't know what there are, almost a million nonprofit organizations in the United uh -huh. States and over almost 100,000 foundations that, uh -huh. that this field is also in a tremendous 
state of flux, that people uh-huh. are moving around. Obviously, they're working in different ways than they used to. I would assume that the things that you're learning in the tech world absolutely apply to uh-huh. folks who are working in the nonprofit world. So the first thing I would ask you is when you're done doing career karma, maybe you should do <laughs> one for nonprofits. Yeah. Because I really do think that people are kind of shuffling the deck. Yeah. I also think that because, I mean, you've been working with, as you say, underestimated communities, mm-hmm. people of color, people who have who have been told that they don't fit into the tech world, mm-hmm. that they don't have the degree or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and you help them understand this, I would assume, a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. This is something that I think people are now going to, this is just my assumption, now that we are all kind of getting a slap in the face about what reality is and what life could be like, people are starting to reassess. Uh-huh. what their goals are. What do you say to people who say, oh, I didn't go to MIT, so therefore I can't get a job at a startup, who say, oh, I didn't go to Harvard, so I can't get a job at a think tank uh-huh. or or at a foundation because uh-huh. I don't know the right people. How uh-huh. are you, how do you coach people to get the, that kind of mindset that allows them to feel like they belong? I love that you've emphasized the word underestimated. I got that from Arlen Hamilton from Backstage Capital. And the reason why I like it is because the word is bigger than race. It doesn't just capture sex either. It might be your different religion. You might have a special need. This goes to to your question. What I love about the word underestimated is that it puts the negative energy on whoever is underestimating you and puts you in a position of advantage. If you are underestimating me, then it's very easy for me to exceed your expectations. If you're just this big bully that's picking on this skinny guy or a girl that's a black belt, they're not worried because they know that they could kick you behind all day long. Or if you put them up to the task, they're always going to beat it every single time. When I think about myself, I am underestimated. I'm the definition of it. I, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, before I even knew black people were a minority because it's mostly black. And I never felt ashamed about it. But when I did understand the racial dynamics, I thought about life like a a white piece of paper and there's like black dots on it. Naturally, someone's eye is going to go to whatever's different on the piece of paper. You are in an advantage where the spotlight's on you. And if people are thinking negatively about you or thinking less of you, then just rise to the occasion. So so that's that's one thing. The, The other thing that I think is super important to understand is like, once you do these things and you, and like you said, you have that bravado, you have that love about yourself, you could accomplish great things. You mentioned Harvard, right? When I was in investment banking, everybody picked on me because I didn't go to an Ivy League school. But now Harvard Business School just wrote a case study about career karma that they're going to be teaching in the fall. So shout out to Professor Laura Huang over there. It feels great. I love it because now higher education the most, one of the most elite higher education institutions is recognizing the power of the people because most of the world never went to college. And that's a fact. On the show, we, we replayed a speech that a guy named Trabian Shorters gave at the Communications Network Conference. Communications Network is the Association of Foundation Nonprofit Communications People. And Trabian was a foundation executive, and now he runs an organization called Be Me. And he talks about what he calls asset framing. So basically what you do is you define somebody by their aspirations, mm-hmm. not by their challenge. I like that. So where, where people would say, oh, these people are disadvantaged or they're at risk or they're low income, you're defining somebody by what they don't have, mm-hmm. which 
uh, which is, you know, needless to say, not empowering. But what it doesn't do is help shape your own mental model about a person and what they want, what they're hoping to achieve, what they deserve. And sometimes you see the obstacle that somebody else has placed in front of them. Yeah. So underestimated is your word. I just took it from <laughs> you. But but I just responded it to it so well because that's exactly what Trabian is talking about in the yeah. nonprofit world and that you're mirroring that. There's a kind of a, an alternate universe in the yeah. tech world. Yeah, let, let me let me touch on that a little bit. So like, yeah, please do. I, I, I'm fascinated. I like the aspirations thing. I think that's important. But I also think that each of us has been given a struggle to overcome. That is not just our burden to carry, but our job to figure out how to help other people overcome what we've already overcome, right? So if I'm in a nonprofit and they're like focused on hiring all these Ivy League people that never struggled, I'm not saying all Ivy League people don't struggle. Let's just assume, just to, to, for an example, a lot of these people didn't go through the struggles. If my nonprofit is focused on helping people that are struggling, but you have nobody working for you that have gone through struggle, what are you doing? Right? It's going to be very difficult for you to respond. It's like trying to solve homelessness, but you have nobody on your team that has been homeless before. I actually think that a lot of people shy away from the struggle that they've dealt with, and they they don't include that in the conversation about why they are aspiring to do something. So I want to encourage more people to be like, hey, this is my goal. Like, I want to help a billion people in 10 years. That's one of my goals. And the reason why I want to do that is because, like, I want to make people better than me. Like I think human potential is one of the most untapped resources. And if we can wake people up and spark that fire and help people to not just achieve their purpose as individuals, but as a collective, a lot of things can happen in the world. I just want to say that like, when you think about aspirations, don't leave back your struggle either. Yeah, no, that's a really, really important point. And what, after the break, we're going to talk now about how you are taking what you've learned so far at Career Karma and turn it into an organization or a campaign to to support more people doing a, a version of I, I guess you're you're starting on your road to one billion right now. Right. So we're gonna take a, a, a very quick break with Ruben Harris and be back right after this. You're listening to Let's Hear It, a podcast about foundation and nonprofit communications hosted by Kirk Brown and Eric Brown. Let's Hear It is sponsored by the Communications Network which connects, gathers, and informs the field of leaders working in communications for good. Because foundations and nonprofits that communicate well are stronger, smarter, and vastly more effective. You can find Let's Hear It online at letshearitcast.com or on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. We're back with Ruben Harris who's the co-founder of the Career Karma app, and you have just launched a campaign called Reskill America. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah. I really like something else that you brought up during our conversation, that um, the nonprofit world can learn a lot from the tech world. And the tech world can learn a lot from the nonprofit world. I would say the main difference between the startup and everything else is speed. As I, like I said, I want to help a billion people in 10 years. Not just speed, but speed of iteration. Just so people understand like our growth we launched an uh, app in 2019. We have a mobile app. Um, we've, we reached over 100,000 people on mobile when we went on the web. Naturally, now there's 51 million Americans that have filed for unemployment in the last 17 weeks. And that has caused a big boom for career karma because people are looking for job training. So we now have about half a million people a month that are coming to career karma. By the fall, we're going to probably have about a million people a month. And then by the next 
18 to 24 months, I know that we're going to have about 20 million people plus a month coming to our platform. The reason why I bring this up is because we are a for-profit venture back company. And what people don't realize is that most people have a smartphone, but less than 60% of black and brown people actually have a laptop. You can check the Pew Research. I believe the stat is like 40% of people that make less than 30 something thousand dollars actually have a laptop. So this is stats are like there's a lot of people that don't have devices. And so when they come to Career Karma and they want to get job training, they've been using our forums to find laptops amongst each other. If they didn't have a laptop, they would offer up something else like a room or a vehicle or something like that. So they created their own barter system. And when I shared that observation with the K4 Center for Social Impact in Oakland, which is a nonprofit, they said, look, Ruben, you're not a nonprofit, but you have this mission. We can serve as your nonprofit or as your fiscal sponsor to help you leverage what you've already built to help these individuals. And so what we're doing is what you said, we're calling this campaign Reskill America, the Great Rehiring Initiative. And what I'm doing is reaching out to IT departments at companies to see if they have extra laptops because the priority is laptops over money. And if they don't have laptops, then they cut a check from their corporate social responsibility department or the diversity department or introduce us to their colleagues that can donate to the campaign. 100% of the resources are tax deductible and go to individuals that need laptops. If it's a dollar contribution, every thousand dollars gets us two MacBooks. So we buy the MacBooks from laptop refurbishers like Revivin or TechSoup or Tech Exchange or Computers for Kids, and then distribute them across the country to people that need these laptops. And so in the last couple of weeks, we've raised a little over $170,000 from companies like Square, GitHub, Affirm, Airtable, Figma, To You, Handshake. But we just also got two grants from foundations, one from Philanthropic Ventures Foundation in the Bay Area, shout out to James Higa, and one from Colin Kaepernick's foundation, the Know Your Rights Camp. Those two grants that we just got have taught me a lot about the nonprofit world and have a lot of opinions. Um, <laughs> tell me, tell me. I but, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's the campaign. <laughs> tell, tell me about your, your opinions of the nonprofit world. It's always good to hear. You know, I've spent my entire career. I, I The last for-profit venture I worked for was a Mexican restaurant in Pacific Grove, California, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I don't know about the real world. I just know <laughs> about the nonprofit world. What are your observations? Well, number one, 90% of U.S. foundations don't have a website. That's an issue already because if someone's trying to do good, how are they going to get to you? Also, most of the most powerful organizations that I know don't have open solicitation. So if you don't have a relationship with uh, uh, Eric Brown, how are you going to get in? The other thing is it's slow, super slow. A lot of times these grant applications remind me of applying to a job using your resume on the website. I've never gotten a job through the website in my life, in banking and tech. I have always- Message in a bottle, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's a black box. (laughs) I have always had to find who the actual hiring manager is to talk to them directly and set it up. And- that's what I did to get our things. I literally just found who's in charge, talked to them, explained the situation. I'll still have to write the grant if they say yes, but I need a relationship. What I love about Philanthropic Ventures Foundation is they believe in 48-hour decision-making, radical collaboration, and, and a bunch of other things. I'm not going to speak for them. Speed really matters to them. You know why? Because people are hurting now. 
nonprofits are blessed to be in such a powerful position. There's so much money in nonprofit that is often even given to venture capitalists and tech as well. And they'll move fast on that. But on the helping the people, the communities of color, there's a problem. I saw a stat from my buddy, Edgar Villanueva. Shout out to Edgar Villanueva. So he's, he, he's, he's become a, a real leader right now. He's killing and, it. Uh, like he, he, he and I speak the same language. He gave me this stat. 8.5% of all annual grant making goes to communities of color. That makes no sense to me. Right. So, so that's an issue. So the other thing that I think is super interesting that I think the nonprofit world can learn from the tech world is, even if you don't want to have open solicitation and it's difficult for you to reach out to people and who and know who to spend the time with, I really like the scout fund model that venture capital has done. Are you familiar with the scout fund model? No, I'm not. Okay. I tell you, I, I Mexican restaurant was the last time. <laughs> All good. So for the people <laughs> that don't know, venture capital funds give money to entrepreneurs to start companies. And deal flow is the lifeblood of venture capital. But the general partners at a venture capital fund don't have all the time in the world to look at all the deals. So they have associates that can source deals, but even the associates can't find everything. So what some venture capital firms will do, well, they'll create a scout program where they find other successful founders and they give them money. They say, look, I'll give you $150,000 and you can invest in whatever you want. You don't have to get approval from me. You know what our philosophy is. Sometimes you have to make a proposal or whatever, but like for the most part, you have almost complete freedom to cut a check. Even Jason Calcanis, he invested in Uber through a scout check with Sequoia. That's a good example. So what I think nonprofit could do that's pretty interesting since they have so much money is if you're concerned about your time, give money to your grantees and let your grantees make decisions about who they can give capital to, which allows you to have insight into that nonprofit. It moves faster. And then if you want to double down on a larger grant, then you can do that. So if I was going to say the biggest critique that I have to, for, with nonprofit is speed. It's too slow. The open solicitation issue, you need to make it available for everybody to be able to get access to it. And then number three, get a website. <laughs> <laughs> Would you introduce me to Edgar, by the way? Oh, I, I've been no trying problem. to get him on the show. No problem. That's easy. That's easy. I, I, met, I met him through Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well... There's a lot of foundation people listening to the podcast, so you, you have their ear. Uh, and I don't think you're saying anything that they don't know, but boy, oh boy, it's important to hear it because you're right. Particularly now, and Edgar Villanueva has been, like I said, an important voice in encouraging foundations to do better, particularly on race, but not just specifically on race. And if you can introduce us, I, I will absolutely do I'd it. Appreciate it. And Arlen Hamilton is another person who I actually do know about because mm -hmm. I heard her on the Startup Podcast mm -hmm. a couple of seasons ago. And you have worked with her, I take it? Yeah. Arlen Hamilton was one of our first investors. She was our third investor. Arlen is the definition of speed, the definition of no BS, the definition of like calling people out on BS and like making sure people are doing things for us. I've known her for a while before she started her big organization. I reached out to her. I explained what we were doing. I think it was two days. We got a check. For, for people who don't know who Arlen Hamilton is, first of all, go back and listen to the Startup Podcast. They do a mm -hmm. season about her. She came out to the Bay Area with a two weeks worth of money in her pocket mm -hmm. and determined that she was going to be a venture capitalist. And the, I think the wonderful thing about her story is that her mother was... A Jehovah's Witness, I believe. I'm not exactly yeah. sure about that part. And, 
uh, but or I think so. Anyway, it, she belonged to a re- religious community that would go to people's doors and mm-hmm. ask them to engage. And she said, I am used to having people slam the door in my face. I'm good at it. Mm-hmm. And so therefore I am not intimidated by it. And mm-hmm. she just has obviously started a, a venture firm. She's raised a lot of money and she's helped a lot of organizations. And obviously her commitment, or not obviously, but her commitment is to women-owned, LGBTQ-owned companies and people of color-owned companies. Uh-huh. And she's obviously making it. She is making a difference. Yeah, and everybody it's, should get it, her book. It's, it's About Damn Time is the name of her book. Um, it's About Damn Time. She, she's, the, she's the most <laughs> powerful black woman venture capitalist that I know. And this, again, uh, a, a locomotion, this constant forward movement and unwillingness to take no for an answer. And then my question is, does she remind you of anybody? Yeah. <laughs> we are kindred spirits. We are kindred spirits. <laughs> to your point, when I raised the venture capital money for Career Karma, after we did a Combinator, it was very important for me to raise money from people that reflect the world. So most of our investors are women and they're people of color. I mean, I also have a couple of checks from large checks from family offices, which is another world that I want to figure out how to tap into outside of nonprofit, which I know they're closely tied. So I think a lot of founders don't spend enough time with nonprofit and family offices. I do want to eventually, when we do our Series A round, probably have a corporate social responsibility arm, but maybe in the future. I don't know if it's right now we're focused on Reskill America. It's a cool thing. It just emanated from me being pissed off about what happened with George Floyd. I said I was going to raise 100000 We're already at 170000 So if you guys can help me get to half a million, that would be great. To anybody listening, one, you know, get your ID department, find out if you've got surplus laptops. Foundations have a tendency to keep everything nice and new. Mm-hmm. So they turn things over relatively quickly. And obviously, if you're interested in supporting what Ruben is doing, I would say that your money is going to be extremely well spent. Can, can you talk a little bit about where you go next with Reskill America? My hunch is that this is not just about putting laptops in people's hands, that you have more to do after that. It's true. Here's my wishful thinking situation, right? So people listen to this podcast, people like, you know what? Here's all the laptops. Great. If that happens, when that happens, because it will happen, I would actually like to reach out to people that can fund the training. So every training program that we work with does not charge a career transitioner to get the training, the tuition, unless they get a job. So if all 5,000 people roll in the program, they drop out. The worst thing that happens is that they learn something. But if they do get a job, then the tuition comes out of the new salary, which ranges between a little under ten thousand up to forty thousand. The average salary that people make is seventy to hundred thousand dollars. If five thousand people collectively make a hundred thousand dollars, they make half a billion dollars. If I can get somebody to give all the laptops and fund the tuition for all these individuals or give some kind of scholarship for all the individuals. Now, instead of doing an income share agreement or deferred tuition or a money back guarantee that a lot of these students are doing, I can ask the students to give 10% of their income for the first year to a fund. And now we've created a $50 million fund that we can use for a lot of things in the future. So that's, that's kind of like what I'm thinking. Ideally, it's even 10,000 people. Now you got a billion dollars collectively owned. You created a fund by the people for the people. That's $100 million. That is all from underestimated backgrounds. With $100 million, even with five million, even with $1 million, you could do a ton. But that's the wishful thinking thing that will probably happen. 
I had a feeling that you had <laughs> you had an idea that that I couldn't think of if I sat here for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's in there. It's in there. We got we got ideas for days. <laughs> Well, I think you, I mean, I do think that you have so much to offer to the nonprofit community because of the way, because of the way you think and the experience that you've had. I think we have a lot to learn from each other. They always say that nonprofits shouldn't be run like businesses and businesses shouldn't be run like nonprofits, but there may be some truth to that. But I also think that there's so much that we can learn from each other. And I'm just very excited about what you're doing. And I I can't wait for this uh, pandemic to be over so that we can actually um, hang out together. Likewise, man. And and just on that last point, there's a lot of trends that the pandemic has accelerated. So I'm not going to go too deep into all of that. But I will say that something that I'm noticing in the career community is not just poor people looking for jobs. I'm noticing rich people looking for jobs, lawyers wanting to switch, doctors wanting to switch, investment bankers wanting to switch. And what they're looking for is not just a career that pays a lot of money. They're looking for purpose. And if a company does not have a purpose beyond money and it's not solving problems in the world, in my opinion, it's going to be very difficult to hire the next generation. I want to build a generational company and I want to build something that lasts for hundreds of years. Business can definitely learn from nonprofit. Nonprofit can learn from business. With business, it's not all about money. But if you help a billion people, you will be a billionaire, right? <laughs> so think yep. about it like that. Well, Ruben Harris of Reskill America and Career Karma, thank you so much for your time. I'm I'm very excited about your future and uh, actually our collective future if you have something to do with it. So thank you. Again. Oh, yeah. Together, man. You're the marketing genius. Got to work <laughs> together. And the best marketing is a mission. Thank you That's so right. much. <laughs> thank you so much. And we're back, and that was a barn burner. <laughs> that was a so barn burner. So I need some professional communications assistance, Mr. Brown, as we start this, because we've had a lot because of- Because the gobbler's kids have no hey, shoes. Hey, we've had lots of inspiring people on this podcast. Nothing but- it. So how do I- What's the word I say? I used to say this was like among the best without making any of the other ones any less? Because this was incredible. This was such an inspiring- look into somebody's work. And of course it starts with the cello as always. It starts with the cello. So tell me, how did you find story starts with the cello? How did you, how did you find Ruben Harris? How did this come about? Um, This is Ruben. Just, he contacted me. I have to say that uh, it, I wish that he had been on, on kind of in my field of vision, but Mm. if I hadn't known about his work, but he just got in touch. He listens to the podcast, I think, I hope. Mm-hmm. And he got in touch because the world of nonprofits and foundations, as as we discussed in the conversation, is a little, is new to him. Now, in short time, he is already engaging with Colin Kaepernick's foundation, the Kapoor Foundation. So he's getting there really quickly. But he just thought that it would be kind of cool to be able to communicate this message to foundations and nonprofits. And I was only too excited to have this conversation because I do think that there is so much that we can learn from him, from business and kind of in general, but from this kind of creative thinking about the possibilities of the future, communications in particular, it was just, I was, as soon as he got in contact, I knew that this was someone that I, not only did I want to have him on the show, I want him 
I want to be his friend. I hope he would call me a friend of his because he's that interesting. Well, it's funny. We've got this podcast that's about uh, foundation and nonprofits communications, and we keep having people on it who are just offering a master's class and how to talk about their work, you know, and um, he starts, he starts talking about matching career transitioners to job programs. So they get a job in a year. Uh, you have me at hello, right? It's just, it's just, I'm with you. Let's go. You know? And then he starts talking about all of the elements of that work and what that entails. Um, it's funny though, you know, his discussion about the way you get in, you know, the way that you get this work started is it's about not just what you know, but who, you know, I thought that was such an interesting uh, glimpse and in a sense, a mirror back to our whole field and it, frankly, I was a little bit surprised when he was talking about that from a tech industry standpoint, because I always think of those entities hiring so much and being so diverse, et cetera. But no, let lo and behold, he's saying, look, even in this field, we're helping open doors for people that are otherwise closed. I, that whole perspective, I thought, was just a really interesting and insightful glimpse into how all of this works or doesn't work for somebody who's on, unfortunately, the outside trying to get in. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, yeah. And this is interesting because our, I think our field, like many fields, suffers from insiderism, mm. who you know is. And, and he confirms that in that it's very, very hard to get a job if you don't, if you don't have a personal contact. But that, didn't, that doesn't intimidate him at all. <laughs> his, his response is, okay, fine, I'm going to make a personal contact. And it's, so it, it's not a contact that he achieved through his alumni association or through some uh, neighbors or other co family connections or that kind of thing. He's building his own personal network. This is most certainly a lesson for all of us, but particularly for young people who feel like they want to get into a field that feels unavailable to them. It is also a reminder to us that we need to continue to improve our ability to make ourselves available to as many people as possible so that they can build the kind of connections and alliances that you need in order to work in any field. So the fact that he is just utterly undaunted <laughs> is not at all surprising when you hear him and how he thinks and how he talks and what he does. And he's just gone from, you know, he's a cellist. He played at Carnegie Hall. He was investment banker. Then he became a startup entrepreneur. And now he is, uh, you know, building this campaign that, you know, the goal is, was it uh, 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 achieving a billion dollars worth of, of uh whatever value. Yeah. And it's, you know, I have no doubt he's going to do that. He wants to help a billion people in 10 years, he says. Well, That's and right. so here we go. And here's the podcast starting to do this thing of talking to itself because here he well, comes. Well, for starters, I've been talking to myself for years. <laughs> you know, isn't it interesting? The voices so are just echoing around in our heads. So he brings this wonderful word into view for us. Who is he bridging to? He's bridging to the, this community of the underestimated, what right. an awesome word. And of course, with uh, credit to Arlen Hamilton from Backstage Capital, which I was, I loved hearing your discussion about that. It sounds like you've got some sensibilities around Arlen and her work yeah. too. Go but, listen to the, pod, the the startup podcast. They did a whole season on her. It's uh, amazing. Well, She's amazing. And, and so underestimated here, Trading Schroeder's talking about asset, asset framing there. This whole conversation about how you start talking about this consideration, what people are aspiring to do from the standpoint of their aspirations and not their liabilities. And, it, and it, when you were talking about that, I was thinking to myself, this could be one of those things we look back generationally 
And this is the, and we, and we look at all this language that we were in our best intentions trying to use to describe these problems that we thought we were trying to solve. And it actually becomes this indictment on how we were in a sense condemning people with language, uh, even though we thought we were trying to do a positive thing. Do you think that that's true? I mean, that whole underestimated piece I thought was so interesting and so frankly, just profound the way he was talking about that. Yes. And the other thing, I think we alluded to this a little bit in the conversation, is it also sets up the foundation or the nonprofit as the savior. Ah. And I think that's, I, I think that we just have to change that way of thinking because that's, A, it's it's not true. What we hope to do is to partner with people who have wonderful aspirations so that we all can achieve these goals that we share and we continue to build and bridge. That's, I, I, I believe in our souls, what foundation people and nonprofit people want to achieve, but we've framed it in such a way that makes us the hero. And I don't think that's fair. Yeah. And I think that it's pro- it's also limiting because once you achieve your hero status, then the grantee, you have no use for the grantee. And that's doubly unfair. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That, I, I think that there's so much to unpack in this notion about uh, working people with people who are underestimated. It also suggests that the barrier is, and I think we've had this conversation before too, the barrier is not in the people. It's in the system, the things, the people who are yeah. underestimating them. It's their problem. Yeah. And now yeah. we just have to kind of remove that. We work with people to help them or to, to uh, kind of achieve in partnership a way to overcome those barriers and well, to change these systems and the models that we have in our minds about what it means to be estimated. That's, you know, that's next. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and he gives us a very interesting, I think, glimpse uh, back into the foundation nonprofit landscape in terms of somebody who's just coming to it, raising money for the first time. And, and before we talk about that, I do just want to make a nod or just acknowledge how powerfully he used the language of numbers, you know, just giving us the framework for what he's trying to do. You mentioned it. He's trying to help a billion people over 10 years. I completely agree. He's going to do it, you know, um, uh, but, but even this piece about for black and brown people, he's saying that, you know, fewer than 60% of black and brown people have access to a laptop and that a key part of the reskill America campaign is actually meeting that need by, and you, you said, man, even philanthropy could help, you know, because philanthropy moves through its tech so quickly, you know, Uh, but this notion that 40%, Nothing but the best. Of, oh man, this this notion that forty percent of people making less than thirty k have a laptop themselves, you know, and, and you, this picture starts coming of you know just people on their phones, and that's the tool they're using to access so much of the world. Um, and and even that notion about the aspiration people, I loved how he took that and said, you know, it's not just that each of us have our own struggle that we're overcoming, but but we have a job to overcome it. But our job is to overcome that struggle and also help others overcome. And just that, uh, just his language about what he's doing was so inspiring and so great. But then you got into the conversation about his perspectives on philanthropy. And I think that we would really be with this if we didn't pause here. And he starts talking about 90% of foundations don't have a website. Most of these organizations don't have open solicitations. They move incredibly slow, uh, though he did point out some of the folks that have been uh, working with them. And then just so tell me about that piece, because I, I have to say, I just and he, and he came back to that who, you know, party said, you know, I never got a job through a website. I've never had that happen to me. And the same through same thing for this kind of support we're looking through in the philanthropic landscape. We need relationships. We need connections. And it was just it was really interesting to me to hear him reflect on that. And a little bit daunting, I have to say, uh, almost a little bit depressing. What do you think about that? Well, I agree. And it is also true. I mean, 
early on, I think we, one of the taglines for this show is uh, draining the moat around <laughs> philanthropy. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that philanthropy is a fortress for many people. If you, if you don't understand it, you feel like it is something that is not available to you and you can't get in. Mm. Well, and can you, man, I mean, this is a much deeper conversation, but can you fundamentally really be about equity if you're living behind un, in unpenetrable walls? I mean, it just, there's just seems like such a disconnect there. I don't know. It's, it, it, it seems like a big project to try to sort out. Um, I will say, you know, when you asked him about his vision for the future, it, it made me realize that I, I, I don't have a, a good enough vision for my future, you know, cause he, he starts talking about this notion of, you know, what if we could get, uh, 5,000 students making a hundred thousand dollars a year, um, what that turns into in terms of a fund that we could create, you know, he's talking about a $50 million fund or a hundred million dollar fund. If, if those students, once they're in the workforce are actually able to generate, deliver some of their first year income back to this kind of a resource he's trying to create. I, I have to say, I mean, there's a self-sustaining model here that feels like it's pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? It's so clever. It's it's like a pyramid scheme, but good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, the last thing I just can't resist, you know, uh, speaking about too is um this notion of grit. You know, and you asked him, you know, like like for some of the stuff that you're talking about, do you you know can you teach it? Do you have to have it? And it's funny, I I don't know how he completely wrapped that up in terms of his feedback, but I will say, Ruben Harris, man, it it appears you have the grit to do anything. <laughs> You put your mind on it. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad he came to the podcast and wanted to share about it because Reskill America and Career Karma, it just seems like such a welcome uh, intervention. And I have to say, you know, I've had these conversations with HR folks from major tech companies before where they talk about their goals, their aspirations for improving the diversity of their workforce and kind of reflecting back and saying, you know, it's really hard when we look at the pipelines we don't know where those diverse workers are going to come from, you know? And so to have a career karma out there saying, look, we know where they're going to come from. Here's how we, here's how we address the systemic things we have to do to bring this kind of talent into your field of view. It's just what a, what a welcome thing to hear about. What an exciting project. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I would say if you're a foundation and you have laptops, please give them to Ruben. If you have some money to help if, if you care about the pipeline of people who have the uh, ability to work in tech or even uh, frankly you could build a pipeline for philanthropy just as well i mm. can't see why not you know to have a look support his work have that kind of conversation and think about if if this is the perspective of a really sharp person who finds that it's it's very difficult to penetrate foundations then what about other folks who aren't these you know shining stars like Ruben how are they going to feel so i agree that it is a question of equity it's also a question of kind of effectiveness because if a foundation really wants to be able to connect with not just its grantees but the people that they serve then we have to be more understandable most of the big foundations, all the, all the big foundations have websites, but that that's not enough. Most foundations do not have an open application process. If you want a grant from them, you got to know somebody. And there's so much we don't know that we are limiting our ability to learn. So I, I do think that, that that ability, that openness is an essential component of the relationship that foundations and their grantees have with the communities that they want to be in partnership with. We just have to continue to ask ourselves, how can we continue to improve on that? Well, you know, and it's so because of what you said, I can't let you get out of here without reflecting on this part too. He talked about, you know, people in the workforce today 
it's not just about rich people. It's not just about poor people looking for jobs, but rich people looking for jobs too, and really looking yeah. for purpose. And then you right. brought up, and this was so cool, you know, the notion of a career karma really oriented to on-ramping people into the nonprofit sector. Uh, just wow, what an idea there, you know, and, and by the way, <laughs> you did your own little master's class with numbers, you know, the million nonprofits that are out there, the hundred thousand oh. foundations, but just think about that, you know, I, I made I, that up. Well, okay. I'll tell you. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's probably true. Hey, I heard it on the internet. It's going to be true. But, but, you know, just that notion of, wow, how could you systematically on-ramp people into that community? Because again, it's got, just like you're saying, it's got the same issues, you know, the same issues. How, who do you know? How do you know? How do you get seen? Um, I don't know. A career karma that's about, you know, transitioning into purpose-based and nonprofit-oriented work. I don't know. I mean, seems like it could be a pretty powerful thing. I'm I'm just excited to, to have had this conversation and to to have a connection with Ruben because he's 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 so interesting. I learned a lot. I hope other people did too. Well, Ruben Harris, Career Karma on Let's Hear It. Thank you so much for joining us. That was a terrific conversation. And Mr. Brown, you did it again. You delivered another really great conversation. So that was awesome. That was great to listen to. And that's it for this episode. Please let us know if you have any thoughts about what you heard today or people we should have on the show, and that includes yourself. We'd like to thank Maggie Brown, our intrepid production coordinator. John Ali, the tuneful and inspiring composer of our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, the Communications Network, the Lumina Foundation, and the Heinz Endowments. Thank you, thank you. And check out the Heinz Endowment, their terrific podcast, We Can Be. That's hosted by Grant Oliphant, and you can find it at heinz.org podcast. We would certainly like to thank today's guest, and of course, all of you, and thank you, Mr. Brown. <laughs> no, no, thank you, Mr. Brown. <laughs> Till next time. Let's hear it. <laughs>